Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to the Realist Podcast in the Donia, the Three Muslims Podcast. And we are joined with Dr. Steph Karras, looking fresh today. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakum Allah khair. Well, we have had our iftar already. So alhamdulillah, I'm looking, I'm looking probably as fresh as I can look after the whole day, mashallah. You have that glow. <laughs> you, what, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. How are you brothers doing? Alhamdulillah. Everybody uh, okay. Going through with Ramadan. We Excellent. are joined with you for episode three of the history series, Long Awaited. What are we talking about today? Well, today is something very special. I would like to introduce my two projects coming up, inshallah, after Ramadan, um, which um, I would like to ask your viewers as well. Maybe there's a possibility to get some funds in because I will explain why. Uh, the researches I'm doing now at the moment is extremely important. It hasn't really been done by Muslims and by Muslim researchers. And I will introduce the project, inshallah, and let you know what it is about. As well as there is a, a very interesting workshop uh, coming up, inshallah, very soon on the 29th of May, which is a Saturday, inshallah, 29th of May. And it's going to be most probably around 10-ish, 10, 11 in the morning a.m. U.S. time, meaning Toronto, uh, New York time. Um, which is going to be a day seminar. And this day seminar is going to talk about actually our identity in the West. And what we mean with the West is obviously Western societies such as North America, Australia, the UK, Europe. So how do we Muslims fit into these kind of societies? What is our identity? What is our role? What is supposed to be actually? And what are we supposed to play? Uh, or what, what, what is our role supposed to be in these type of societies? And uh, the most important thing next to this one is actually our history in these type of societies. As many people believe, we don't belong here. We don't belong to Europe. We don't belong to North America. We're something totally new. Islam is a newcomer. It's a, it's a foreign body. It came from Arabia. It has nothing to do in these countries, which we're going to totally debunk. It's absolutely not true. And I think it's going to be extremely important for anybody from North America to Australia to participate, to be part of these workshops. And we're not going to take more than 10 people. So it's going to be really limited, um, limited space in order to have also this personal feeling um, uh, to be able to give during the day, during this day seminar, to al allow people to ask questions and to personalize the issue. Because as I said, it is very important. It's very personal. Um, and I think, inshallah, the 29th of May should be in your calendar, should be, you should write it down, inshallah. So... Um, it's a Saturday, again, it's a day seminar, which will give you an idea of uh, Islam in the West, in North America, in Australia, in Europe. How did we get here? How did Islam get, get here? And why is it here? And why does it have a right to be here? And what is our role? And what is our identity in these kind of countries? So we could actually take this as well to discuss today, inshallah. This is a topic we should discuss today, I think, as well, and, and lead into that workshop. Uh, but next to this one, I would like to introduce also, introduce also the two projects that are coming up, inshallah, very soon after Ramadan. And I'm collecting some funds. Uh, I'm on GoFundMe, the page GoFundMe. I think we all know that. And on GoFundMe, you can find basically these two projects. Better explain more detail, but I would like to go into them. One is in South America and the other one in the Balkans. Um, so, yeah, bismillah. So if you have any questions before I start, inshallah, just let me know. We could do it that way that I could introduce the first project, come back to some questions with regards to the Americas, Islam in South America and America, and then introduce a second project, which is in the Balkans in, in Europe, and then go again into these type of topics. Is this all right? Bismillah. 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 Let's do that.
Bismillah, let's get it started. Any questions before I start? Anything you want to ask? Anything you want to mention, maybe? No. Bismillah. Now, um, as you can see on the slideshow, hopefully you can all see the slideshow. Mm -hmm. Islam in the Guyanas. Okay. Now, first of all, questions to you three. Okay, because we don't have another audience at the moment. Um, the Guyanas, where is that? Caribbean. Yes. Oh, yeah, so, yo, yeah, yes and no. <laughs> mm. A bit more specific? Uh, you got me. I don't know. Angel, it's not far away from Puerto Rico. <laughs> <laughs> no sabla español. They don't speak Spanish there, by the way. It's a mm. very important point here. You know, growing up, growing up I, had a, I had a neighbor, and it was like this family. They were Guyanese, and they were Muslim. Okay. Right. You know, and when, when we figured out, you know, they don't look like us, mom, but they're Muslim. How is that? How is that possible? And she's <laughs> like, oh, what do you mean? You don't need to be, you know, brown or Arab to be Muslim. Excellent. Yeah. That's, that, that, that is you, you hit it right. on. That's exactly what it is. And that's one of the reasons why I want to actually start this project and go myself to South America. I've been there before. Um, as I told you, I think my wife is from one of these three countries. OK, and uh, there are three. I actually spoiled the beans a bit, but there are three of them. They used to be called Guyanas. The one was British Guyana. The other one was Dutch Guyana. And the other one was French Guyana, which still exists. The French Guyana is still French Guyana. And take a look at South America. You see Brazil, obviously, massively big country. Above Brazil, in the north of Brazil, you see three tiny countries. The smallest, actually, on the South American continent. You see Guyana which used to be called British Guyana, okay, the blue part. Next to this one in the middle, Suriname, which used to be Dutch Guyana. And all the way to the right, French Guyana, which is still French Guyana, belonging still to, uh, uh, to France as an overseas department, okay? So do you see them? So all the, these are the smallest parts, the smallest countries actually in South America. But they might be small and tiny and seemingly insignificant. But what is very important about these countries is that there is a massive amount of Muslims there. And the official number is not at all the real number. I mean, officially, I can tell you now. I mean, hopefully now it gives, gives you a little bit of perspective. And you were right before when you said Fayyad, Caribbean. Yes, it is part. It, they all have a coast, Caribbean coast, indeed. But they're also part of South America, okay, which makes them being like, you know, in between of both. And they do, they, they have a very tropical feeling indeed. I mean, when you're there, you feel that you're somewhere close to the Caribbean. Now, the first one is a map, an old map, an old Dutch map, because Guyana and Suriname used to be part of Dutch Guyana, of the Dutch uh, empire. And the Dutch empire, as small as they might be, you might not think that the Dutch once had an empire, but um, they did uh, rule the largest Muslim minority majority country in the world, which is? Be awake, guys. Come on. I'm asking questions a bit. Uh, the largest Muslim majority country in the world is which one? Indonesia, uh, man. I was <laughs> muted. Mashallah, that's it. Mashallah. Nah, bro, you <laughs> just Google Today it. I got you guys. I got you. Today. No, no, Today no. Bro, really I like thought everyone knew that. That's it, Indonesia, indeed, Indonesia. Yeah. More than 250 million people, Muslims, all of them, or the majority of Muslims, mashallah. Angel disappeared, what happened to you, Angel? Did you fall over? Did you, did you know that? <laughs> I, I, had a, I had to turn the, uh, the fan off. My eyes are getting really dry right now. I'm dehydrated. <laughs> 
So you got the you got this now. So Indonesia is the largest Muslim majority country in the world, Mashallah. Yeah. And it used to be a colony of the of the Dutch. I mean, you wouldn't say it's like I don't know how many times bigger than Holland, than the Netherlands, but massive country. Um with most islands in the world, by the way, island nation. And that you see that they also used to have colonies in South America, and one of them was Suriname. And until the day of today, so Dutch Guyana, as it was called, until the day of today, it's the only country outside of Europe where they still speak Dutch as an official language. Okay? So you wouldn't say, but in South America, there's a Dutch-speaking country where the education is in Dutch, where the whole system is in Dutch, where you will find... Dutch boards on the street, you know, and people speaking Dutch. But first of all, French Guyana. Very short because it's the smallest country, actually. It belongs to France. Yes, indeed, it's the Département, Overseas Department of France, uh, with the capital Cayenne, more than 300 or about 300,000 people. So not a massive, massive population. However, for an overseas department, quite a lot. Um, a Muslim population who mainly are Arabs or Lebanese and Afghans. And you might say, like, how did they end up there? I mean, what about the Afghans? I mean, what do they do there? Now, don't forget the endangered labors coming from, from, from Southeast Asia, from India and surrounding. Afghanistan is far away, but still a sur surrounding uh, the Indian subcontinent, basically. So there are people from that area who came as well. But because we don't have so much information, that's exactly the reason why I want to undertake this kind of project. I want to go to South America and I want to go to these three countries and go deeper into the issue of what about the Muslims in Islam in that part of the world? Why in that part of the world? Because that's the part of the world in the Americas that has the majority Muslims, actually. Okay. Now, the greater Toronto area, GTA, okay, has in North America the biggest uh, population of Muslims mm -hmm. from North America. But for the Americas as a whole, these three regions, especially Suriname and uh, Guyana, they do have a massive amount of Muslims, up to 20%, people say. The official figures are lower, but the unofficial ones say up to 20%. Okay? Massive. Yes, it is. I mean, imagine where we are, we're in the Caribbean, right? Um, now, Islamic Center and a Muslim school in Cayenne and in Kourou. Cayenne is the capital. Kourou is where the uh, Guyana Space Center is. You must have heard of it. It's um, run by the French. Uh, but it's a European space agency. Basically, the Europeans have their space agency there. They, they send rockets to the moon. And that is in Kourou. And that's why they keep this, 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 this colony, basically, you can say, this department still, right? That's why it is still a department. But it's very poor, okay? And I'm not talking about the Europeans who live and work there. I'm talking about the indigenous population, the people who live there, who are extremely poor. So that's all we know about French Guyana. With regards to Islam, that's about it. You know, there are some Lebanese and there are some Afghans there. That's about it. We don't know a lot. So that's exactly why I want to go there. That's why I want to find out more. Next to this, of course, Guyana. Guyana, as Brother Fayed said before already, he had some uh, experience with brothers, with people from Guyana who um, you said didn't look like you. So how did they look? Were they black? Where they, they looked mixed. They look. They look like a mix between African and uh, maybe like Latino. Yeah. So Indians, right? Because indeed, the majority. Look at that. Forty percent of the people living in Guyana are Indians of Indian origin. Mm. Forty percent are of the Indian subcontinent. Thirty percent are of African origin. Twenty percent are mixed. But again, it's not very clear. <laughs> you know. But again, twenty percent mixed. The official statistics. 
10% indigenous Amerindians, 1% others, meaning Chinese, Portuguese, English people, and whatever else. Okay, so a massive, massively interesting mix. And when you say they, they look mixed, that is the majority of the people actually, even the ones mm. who identify themselves being like rather Africans or rather Indians, even they are mixed actually. You know, there is the population is totally mixed. And the crazy thing about that is the population is not bigger than 750,000. That is like, um, um, like one of the hoods in, in Toronto. I mean, 750,000, yeah. What is that, mm. you know, 750,000, you know? So basically, it's not even a, a, it's not even a, a, a city in, in America. You know, it's like it's insignificant. That's the whole population of a country. Imagine that. But look how mixed they are and look at their history. Um, it used to be a Dutch Guyana between 1667 and 1814. OK, and then it became British Guyana between 1814 and 1966. So the independence, they gained it in 1966. So imagine uh, for, a, for quite a while, right? 1667 to 1814, it was Dutch. And they did, some of these things from the Dutch remained. For example, the main market, which I'll show you now, the main market, do you see that? It's called Starbrook. Do you see how they write Starbrook market? It's star, B-R-O-E-K. O-E in Dutch is U. You see, O-E makes an U sound. Okay, that's the phoneme. So Brook, which is Dutch. So Star Brook Market, okay? So it is a typical market in Georgetown in the capital. And you see our ladies there, mashallah, the ladies who are, are out on the market going shopping, right? Muslim ladies are there. You see a masjid, of course, also there. Many mosques are there, mashallah. Georgetown and Guyana has a very big amount of Muslims, mashallah. And the official statistics say, let me see, officially they say 63% Christians, 25% Hindus and 7% Muslims, okay? Inofficially, they say up to 14 to 15% Muslims, okay? So it's double the amount, most probably, okay? Because don't forget there's massive conversion rate, okay? And it, it's very interesting, honestly, very, very interesting to see. Um, Suriname, now the most important country in that part of the world. In Suriname, we have the most Muslims with a smaller population even. The population is, is not bigger than half a million, 550,000. Imagine that. It used to be Dutch Guyana. Dutch is the only, the official language. It's the only country outside of Europe where they speak Dutch as an official language. Um, independent since 1975. The capital is Paramaribo. 27% um, Indians, so less than in George, in, in, in Guyana. 22% um, Africans, but 16% official again, Creole mulatto. What does it mean? Nothing else but a mixed population, people who have grown up there and mixed with the mm. others. And again, other mixed 13%. So 16 plus 13 makes it more than 30% mixed people. And this is the official statistics. So inofficially, as I mentioned before, in, um, in Guyana, there is the, most of the population is mixed already. Then something that is very unique next to the Dutch language is something that's extremely unique in Suriname. There are Javanese Muslims, Javanese from Java, from Indonesia. Why? Because you can imagine why. It was a Dutch colony. The Dutch took, of course, people over from Java. And you remember what I said last time? How did Islam enter South Africa? They put, uh, they put scholars there, right? Just to hide them away. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
the Gut Scholars from Indonesia, mm -hmm. the Dutch Gut Scholars from Indonesia, and they uh, sent them to uh, to South Africa, right? Thinking that they would die there basically alone, somewhere in, in a hut in, in the desert. That did not happen in the country. So um, now here in that case, we see Javanese people, people from Indonesia, who are the only bigger population uh, with regards to Muslims in that part of the world, mashallah. Next to that one, there are Amerindians, of course, indigenous people, one and a half percent Chinese. It's not nothing, it's quite interesting. One percent Europeans and two percent others. Whatever <coughs> there, might, there might be still under others. I don't know what, el what else can they fall under there. But it's unbelievable you find anything in Suriname. It's really incredibly interesting. And if you just take a walk through Paramaribo, you really feel that you are, um, that everybody is present, you know, any kind of, of color, any kind of creed, and, and I find it exciting. Personally, I, I, I find it very exciting and I love that, that country. Um, so yes, I, I think it's an eye opener for all of us now to find out a bit more about, especially if you are living in North America, to find out something more about South America, you know, and especially with regards to Islam there. And Islam is thriving there, mashallah. I must say, again, it was not that case before. Like 20, 30 years ago, they did have halal butchers and all this stuff, but just from the formality. Nowadays, you even have hijabs and women with hijab. That time, I remember my wife was one of the only one in Paramaribo wore hijab, okay, when we were there. Nowadays, mashallah, what I hear, I haven't been there for a long time, what I hear is that sisters have come out now with hijabs and everything. So it is a common, um, um, uh, common thing on the street. You will find uh, women with hijabs on, on, in, on Paramaribo street. Um, this very interesting again, two pictures. The bigger one is Indian laborers who came over in the 19th century. Um, and the smaller one are the Javanese that I was talking about, Indonesian Muslims. Okay, mashallah. Now, 550,000 inhabitants, not more. What was for a small period of time, 17 years, a British colony, the British colony of Willoughby, Willoughby Land. And then from 1667 until its independence, 1975, it was a Dutch colony with about 50% Christians, 22% Hindus, 14% Muslims. Again, the unofficial figure says about 20% even Muslims. And then 2% who belong to the Winti cult, which is an African type of um, religion, and 3% others, okay? So just to give you a very general idea again, any questions with regards to these three countries up to here? Anything you would like to mention, maybe? Did you expect that? Did you know about that? I did not. No. I'm, I'm going to be right back. I got to get some eye drops, guys. My eyes are killing me. Go for it, bro. I remember ahead, watching a, a TikTok by uh, Rami, and he was saying that uh, when you basically normalize not wearing the hijab, you basically alienate wearing the hijab, right? Yeah. Along, along Amongst with anything in life. So when you were saying that, you know, back then a lot of people weren't wearing the hijab, that's why, you know, more women didn't want to come out and wear the hijab. But then when they started normalizing it, then it was, it was, it was just there. And now you can expect that if you go, your wife wouldn't be the only person wearing a hijab. Absolutely. You're absolutely, absolutely right. It is um, indeed, there has to be, the beginning has to be made by somebody who's courageous. Let's put it that way. Somebody who just decides to, okay, I'm going to wait. Although, listen, I mean, the crazy thing is what about Suriname? In Suriname, you will find Islamic schools. You will find mosques. You will find madrasas. You will find one mosque next to the other. Look at this one, for example. Look at this one. This mosque, you can clearly tell which one is a mosque. There's a mosque and a synagogue up there. Mm. In the center of Paramaribo, you have a masjid with a very typical Indian style, 
right? Because that shows you also that the majority of Muslims are either Indonesian or Indian or, or origin. Mm -hmm. So you can see that, the architecture. And next to this one, there's a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue. So that I find in itself, again, is amazing, okay? It shows you that, um, again, it is not a privilege of, of, of European Christians being in South America or having established colonies or whatever. It is, it is something that uh, as clearly, uh, it has invited, I mean, the Americas have invited many people from all over the world, as you all know. So it's not something that um, is a privilege for specific people being white or being Christian. No, you see clearly mm. that in this country, for example, in Suriname, you clearly see there's a Jewish minority, there's a Muslim minority, there is a Ahmadiyya minority, for example. There's many, many types of different, different types of people. Hindus, as we saw, more than 20% Hindus. Uh, we, we, you don't find it anywhere else in the Americas. 25% in Guyana, 22% in Suriname. Massive amounts, right? Massive amounts. So they do play a role, okay? Um, a typical, um, yeah, street in, 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 in Suriname, in Paramaribo, as you can see here, or in Suriname at least. Um, and it gives you an idea that Dutch language is present. This is Dutch, by the way, whatever you see here, it says, it's in, it, says it in Dutch. Um, the Suriname dollar is the official currency. Um, yeah, and these are real pictures from our brothers and sisters celebrating Eid in Suriname. No, okay, several years ago, mashallah, several years ago, indeed, very exciting and very interesting. I mean, look at uh, at the children wearing hijabs. You know, as I said before, it was it was uh, the, 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 the men look how they address mashallah. I absolutely love it. And the most important thing is what that the Eid celebration, the Eid day is celebrated by the entire country. It is part of the, the culture of the country, as well as Suriname as in Guyana, by the way. So the president of Suriname is present during the Eid prayer. You know that. The president uh, of Guyana, by the way, several years ago was a Muslim, okay? Guyana and Suriname are the only countries in the Americas that belong to the organization of Islamic countries. No, no. I remember my, my, parents, my parents had to fight tooth and nail to get Eid off as like a legit religious holiday back in the day. Like I know, I know today they kind of come yeah, up I, with it and only Christ, Christ, uh, Christmas isn't the only one. So they, they allow it for Eid. But I remember back then they, they had to really, you know, let them know that it's actually a religious holiday. But nowadays it's, it's, it's a common thing, isn't it? I think it's very normal. Yeah, it's very common now. Yes, yes, yes. But imagine it has become, a, this is not a new phenomenon. It, it was always like this. I mean, Suriname, Guyana, they have accepted the Eid celebration always for the whole country. So it is mm. something that they all celebrate. On the other hand, you can come and say, of course, for that reason, they expect the Muslims also to celebrate Christmas and Easter because, you know, <coughs> if we do that for you, then you do that for us, right? That's the idea. Mm. That's a little bit tricky now. Okay, this is a little bit tricky now, this issue. Shall we now, that's the point here of integration assimilation, which I mentioned very often in the, mm -hmm. in the lectures and workshops, um, which is, I think, one very important topic. What does integration mean? What does assimilation mean? What is the difference? And what are we allowed to do as Muslims? And what are we not supposed to do as Muslims? This is extremely important because you can now see basically what we see in Suriname, what we saw in Suriname 10, 15, 20 years ago, was a part of assimilation, I would rather say. 
you know, a nice type of assimilation because you can be Muslim, no problem. In the same time, you can celebrate also Christmas, right, with us. You sit at the same table, you know, with your half Christian family, the other one half Muslims, whatever. Everything is fine and nice. Let's all dance salsa and, and lambada together, no problem. <laughs> but that's not the way it should go, okay? Mm. Now, we misunderstand the idea of integration, you know. That doesn't, of course, again, the, 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 the danger is, again, if we do fulfill integration, and we do get away from assimilation, we get into the third problem, the isolation problem. So suddenly we become an isolationist religion, isolationist people who live in their ghettos, far away from the majority population, wanting their own halal meat, wanting their own schools, their own infrastructure. That is not exactly how it should be, Islamically. Mm -hmm. I, hope, I hope it makes sense what I'm saying here. So that we have really a problem that we have to tackle as Muslims. And again, this is something we will discuss deeply on the 29th of May, inshallah, with regards to the workshop that we're going to offer, inshallah, which is going to be something um, talking exactly about th these issues like integration, assimilation. How do we as Muslims integrate in a Western society, non-Muslim society, as in North America, Europe, and in Australia? How are we supposed to be part of a society but still keep up our, our Islamic values, okay? Um, it, it's not a one-way street, guys. I keep saying it is not a one-way street. It is us and it is them as well. A Muslim has to, of course, in order to be integrated, has to accept the fact that they are living in a country which is surrounded by non-Muslims. They are surrounded by neighbors who are non-Muslims. They have contact with non-Muslims. Absolutely no problem with that. But now you have to keep up your values. You should not lie. You should try to be a good man, a good, good, good man, good woman, a good, good citizen of the country. You have to, of course, also uh, adhere to the rules and regulations of the country. You cannot just go against it because whatever. You cannot just do that. But again, if the country starts becoming a little bit more difficult for you because of you wanting to wage up, such as in the case of France, right? You take France as an example, as an extreme example of fascism right mm. a country of fascism which clearly tells you we don't want you to wage up this goes against islamic values there you cannot say i want to integrate so i'm going to take it off okay this goes against but, your values this is part of my value this you cannot come and tell me i cannot do that the same like you cannot forbid me to pray if i have to pray okay the time that i take off as an employee and I go to smoke every two hours, by the way, you are allowed to smoke. So I don't even need every two hours to go to pray. Imagine that. But a smoker can go every two hours and have a fact. I don't do that. I don't need that. I need to go and pray. But this once, once maybe a day or twice. But somebody who smokes, smokes every two hours, right? This is the regulation. So why doesn't this count for me? I mean, I'm not doing mm. anything against anybody else. I, I'm going to. So this is a discussion we've been having in Europe, for example, the whole time. Why don't you understand that integration is not a one-way street? It goes both ways. Both have to accept each other and both have to tolerate each other. Otherwise, you can say, well, most probably the sentiment is rather an Islamophobic sentiment. Sentiment. So don't hide behind your fingers. Don't but, say that, no, no, we are not. We are not. We accept you. We have no problem with Islam. We have a problem with radicalism. What are you talking about? Is somebody mm. radical who prays five times a day? That's called a Muslim in my books. Okay. <laughs> Right. So, you know, I mean, you cannot be like you cannot play around with words as they do. Yeah. Okay? You remember you remember when you said uh, 
like a, you need to be strong and courageous to like go pray and not assimilate but integrate the same thing you were saying how they had to be courageous sisters to like wear the hijab right in like a non-muslim country i've seen so many articles saying more and more strong courageous women are taking the hijabs off oh <laughs> yes they're courageous right i'm because just so courageous <laughs> Yes, yes, because that's in the end, that's where it's going to. They want mm -hmm. to, they will not reach you with a majority, but that's exactly the test that we have to go through. It's a test. I remember when I was living in Holland um, that prayer was an issue. Mm -hmm. I, could not, I could not perform my prayer, and I'm talking about an eight-hour job where I did not demand a two, again, the two hours of smoking because I, I'm not smoking. But what I wanted... I didn't even want my room, nothing. I just wanted in the time of my break, five to 10 minutes, I wanted to go make my wudu, go in a corner somewhere and make my salah. I did not disturb anyone, but they had a problem with it. There was an issue. They did not fit in the work ethic, they were saying, something like that, whatever this might mean. You understand? So there is really a, a question of, wait a second, you don't, you, you, you're simply Islamophobic, that's it. There's limpy Islam, you have a problem. There's simply an issue of me being Muslim. It's not an issue of me demanding something. Uh, I'm demanding something that's my right, actually. That is my right. But I'm not demanding something which could have been my right. If I had said, I want every two hours of my break to smoke, I would have got it. You know, it would have been normal. <laughs> that's the craziness about it. But anyway, it is interesting to see how do our brothers and sisters down there in South America, where they've been an established community now, um, how do they deal with these issues? Well, alhamdulillah, it is like this, that there are Islamic schools down there. And I mean, you all in the Americas, that's something I appreciate very much and I admire in the Americas in general. There, there is never an issue about an Islamic school. I mean, this is something standard from Canada all the way down to Argentina. You, have, you can find Islamic schools. You will find Islamic communities being able to have their own infrastructure, their own halal shops and all this stuff. This is in Europe. Nowadays, again, in certain countries where it was normal before, it has become an issue. Nowadays in France, they're closing down halal butcheries. Why? They've been existing for the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years. So they're closing down the halal butcheries now. What's going on? Why? Why can't you slaughter halal anymore? What is happening? Why do you have a problem? You know, because you do make your salah. You pray during, the, during your working hours or school. In Germany, somebody was sent, I remember, it was a young boy, 14, 15, 16-year-old boy. He was sent to court because he was, found, he was found praying somewhere in a corner. So he was dis not disturbing anyone. Imagine that, guys. He was not disturbing anyone. He was somewhere in a corner, in the break, he was performing his salah. And he was sent to court. In Switzerland, a brother comes in, meets another brother in the bus. He says, Salam Alaikum. The bus reports this and he gets a fine of $1,000. So now you explain to me, please, but this is that this is not that, that, that something is, is that everything is going well. No, something is going wrong there. Something is happening. Something is going on. So that's why these kind of projects are extremely important. I want, I personally want to learn from these people. How is it working in South America? How come? that you're living in the West, that you're living in certain societies where the majority are non-Muslims, how can you be integrated and not only integrated, actually financially, they are the better of people. You know that in Suriname and in Guyana, for example, you will find many Muslims um, being actually entrepreneurs and um, uh, rich and wealthy business people, 
right? And this is not possible in certain parts of the world where you cannot even just because of your beard, you have already an issue. Yeah. Mm. And I'm not joking. I'm really not joking. It is. It has gone into extremes, you know? So, yes, Eid in Suriname, mashallah, is celebrated by the whole country. The president himself is present, mashallah. And it is beautiful to see all these people gathering together. The non-Muslims, they're sitting in the back. They have their seats and they're participating. Whereas the Muslims are making the salah. You have the imam there, mashallah. It's beautiful to see. And everybody is stressed. Everybody's happy. Everybody eats together, celebrates together. Alhamdulillah, this is a nice thing. That's the way it should be. You know, there is no threat and there is no no uh, bad feeling and ill feelings. Now, our sisters in the sun, now, as you know, most probably, especially uh, Angel in, in, in Maya or in, 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 um, uh, in Florida. Florida, Florida. You obviously, yeah. know that the umbrellas there are used against the sun and not against the rain, in contrast to here. We use the umbrellas for the rain, guys. Okay, down there, mashallah, our sisters use them against the sun to protect themselves from the sun, mashallah, right? Angel in Puerto Rico, the same, right? They also use umbrellas against the sun. <laughs> nah, they just they stand out there like this and they get the sun. Wow, mashallah, mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> so our sisters in Suriname, mashallah, again, it gives you a nice idea. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. We're coming back to that, mashallah. So up to there with regards to the uh, first project, the project of Islam in uh, South America, and especially in the Guyanas, three, re three countries in a region where it's absolutely unknown to us. We don't know really what's happening down there. We know nothing, actually. We know very little about them. And I would like to really go myself and get some, get some research done, speak to some Muslims down there, get some interviews done, and get them to tell us actually in the West, tell us in Europe, like, how can it be better than what we have here in Europe, for example? And, and why is it better? Why is it better? Why are there certain issues, no issues? And why are there certain issues, issues here? And why are there no issues there? So that I find ext extremely exciting. And to also, you know, find out about the different ethnicities, you know, the Javanese people. Uh, I know that they still speak their language. And they do raise their children in Islam, mashallah. And they're quite strong, mashallah, in Suriname, which is very nice to see. I remember when I was in a certain area in Paramaribo, where a lot of Indonesian, Javanese people live. I remember I, we went in, into a garong, into an um, into, um, um, Indonesian um, uh, food shop to buy some food. And while um, we ordered, I remember next to us, there was a masjid and we heard the adhan. And you were like, wow, mashallah, I mean, this is Suriname, and you can hear the adhan, you can hear the people calling, the Muslims calling for, for prayer, mashallah. This is amazing. So we left the shop, went for salah, and came back to pick up our food. I mean, mashallah, this is beautiful, you know, and I'm sure that you can, you can understand what I'm talking about, where I'm coming from. I mean, this is something that we would wish to have here. And uh, I, I find this nice that there's an opportunity to, to experience that, mashallah. And it is there, it is there, mashallah. Um, I don't know how is the situation actually, you both are in Toronto. How is it in Toronto? I've, I've heard good things about GTA. Very good things. I know that they're pertaining, pertaining to what? Oh, Muslims? Yeah. With regards good... to freedom for Muslims. I mean, Adhan, you know, mosques. I mean, you do have mosques. I know you do. You, there's a lot of activities, but... Uh, no, nah, in terms feel... of Adhan and all that, it's nothing like, like New York City or something like that. Nothing like that. In what way? Does it mean that it's... There is Adhan in New York City, or there's Arab yes, Arab. there's there's Muslim literally neighborhoods, and you'll have more like uh, neighborhoods that are more culturally. Like for example, you have Bengali neighborhoods, Pakistani neighborhoods, sure. not really Muslim neighborhoods. Sure, so sure. in those neighborhoods, you'll find uh, more you know 
traditional restaurants, halal yeah. food readily available, but it's not really Muslim. It's more like culture. But in New York City, for example, you'll find actual like Muslim areas. Because African-Americans, that's why. African-Americans. Exactly. Muslims. Exactly. And they say, they say, I, I admire it, subhanAllah. I was in the States. I was in New York, actually, in Philadelphia in 1991, guys. I mean, this, I know this is like, I know, like... Um, how I was in time. <laughs> None of us. So, that, was, that was my first and last time I was in the States. Um, and uh, I did a tour, actually, from New York, Philadelphia, New Jersey, all the way down to Miami, to Florida, Miami. Uh, the keys and uh, it was amazing absolutely amazing and i did visit some muslims at that time that time i was at the very beginning of my islam and i visited i was excited about islam and i knew about malcolm x that's all i knew and i visited some african-american brothers in their shows mashallah and they were excited about me visiting them coming from europe mashallah so that was nice that was in the 1990s uh but what you're you telling ever, me you now about calgary new york no? this is sorry you ever been to calgary uh calgary no in Canada, it's a city in, uh, in uh, Alberta. There, they have a good Muslim population. Really? Yes, okay. lots of you know Muslim you know halal stores everywhere, butchers, uh, mosques. But Toronto as well. I mean, Toronto is known for that. Mm, not really. There's masjids for sure. There's masjids. There's, there's a lot of masjids, but I don't I don't particularly get that vibe. I don't know, Rami. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it really depends. Like with me, um, I find a lot goes on. Like before COVID, a lot was going on with like I3 and IRA and different mm-hmm. organizations. We have like IR, IRS and or RIS, pardon me, um, and all this stuff once a year. I think there is a good Muslim community. To be honest, we have no problem with halal food and all that stuff. So I think Alhamdulillah, are pretty good. We don't have like they don't um, call the adhan out loud for everyone to hear. It's only like ever in the masjid. So to hear, you have to be in the masjid. But uh, in terms of, of all that, I think we're good. MSAs and univer- universities and colleges and all that. I think we're, um, we're pretty good, alhamdulillah. Um, other than the societal diseases we deal with as a whole, as an entire society, as Muslims, alhamdulillah, I think um, we're doing pretty good. We can definitely do better, obviously, but... We can definitely do better. The, the things, um, not to go against you, bro, but the things that you're listing are things that should be the standard anyway. And I find that in commonplace almost everywhere. There's nothing, in my opinion, exceptional about Toronto or Islam. Yeah, I agree. Because what I've read, sorry, brothers, what I've read is really, I mean, I, a lot of praise for the Muslims in GTA. I mean, mm-hmm. having having a lot of, okay, as you said, masajid, okay, we have them everywhere. So here, there's not a problem. Uh, having halal shops, having everything, basically pretty much everything there that you need. Um, and having yeah. also the, the emotional, I mean, Feeling safe and feeling as a Muslim welcome. Let's put it that way. Is this the mm-hmm. case? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Um, but the city that me and uh, Rami live in, Mississauga, it's part of the GTA. It's not part of Toronto. That city, there's more of a Muslim vibe for sure. You know, Eid comes around, people are praying. You know, they're doing Eid Salah in the grass. You know, in schools, people are going. It's a vibe for sure. Pre-COVID, yeah. Toronto, not really the same. I see. I see, mashallah. Interesting, interesting. Um, Angel, how is it down there, man? I mean, oh, it's beautiful. Really? <laughs> Tell me. I'm just stretching right now. No, no, no. I mean, next, I didn't mean down there. There, I mean, I'm talking about you down there in Florida. You know? Oh, I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying like, how's this down here? As I'm stretching, I'm like, I mean, it's beautiful. Angel, <laughs> subhanallah, qué estás haciendo? 
it's but listen in um in florida it's it's nice it's um i don't know much about like the muslim population i didn't think there was much where i stay at because i stay in claremont which is a kind of like a country slash suburban area a lot of white folk nothing against the white folk but there's a lot of white folk and um <laughs> subhanallah i i went to uh the vitamin shop the other day, uh, the Muslim was coming out of the store. I was like, oh, subhanAllah. Went into Target the other day. I saw, like, two Muslims. I was like, oh, subhanAllah. Like, I guess there are Muslims here. There are other Muslims. <laughs> you see them probably with Ramadan. Many of them, mashallah, I know. Many more yeah. coming on. Mashallah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, uh, you cannot... I think the situation in North America in general, if you compare it to the rest of the world, I really think it's quite good. Of really. course, yeah. I like mean, some, the the things to... that Rami was saying, I agree. Like compared to places like France, for sure, bro. I mean, Europe, we are doing we are doing so much better. Europe is really bad. I mean, the best mm -hmm. country is why we are in the UK is for that reason. I moved to the UK in uh, 2000, 2001, simply because I knew I, I saw what was happening in, in in the Netherlands, in Germany, in Switzerland, in France, in Italy. You know, there was no way you, you really, if you wanted to stay in Europe, you could have, you had to move to the UK at that time. London, Birmingham, Manchester. You know, these are places where you feel okay and welcome as a Muslim. But <clears throat> the rest of Europe, I mean, honestly, it has become so bad that when I go back to where I grew up in Germany, I grew up in a, in a, in a town, 250,000 inhabitants. When I go back there, people look at me as if like, what is he doing there? You know, although we do have Muslims there, we do have a lot of Muslims actually there. But the majority of Muslims are these, what you mentioned before, Fayyad, the traditional type of Muslims, you know, and because they are Bangladeshis, they are Muslims, because they are Pakistanis, they are Muslims, because they are Turks, they are Muslims. Mm. That's not why you are Muslim. And I always catch people in the, in the lectures when they look at me, like when I ask them, why are you Muslim? They're like, huh? What do you mean? I said, why are you Muslim? And nobody has ever asked me that. Of course, because you never ask yourself. You have to understand that even if you're born Muslim, you're, you're, you're born into a Muslim family, you have to understand that once you have to make up your mind and decide, are you Muslim or aren't you Muslim? And what it means to be a Muslim is very simple following the five pillars of Islam. You know, you're not Muslim because you're Bangladeshi and you're not Muslim because you're Pakistani. You're not Muslim because you are whatever, Turkish or Indonesian or whatever. You're a Muslim because you follow these five pillars of Islam, right? That's why you're Muslim. And you, and you should be Muslim because you fear your Lord, you fear Allah, and you want to reach paradise. That should be reasons for you to say, that's why I'm a Muslim. Not because my father comes from Pakistan. That's not the reason, brother. That's not the reason. And every time I have it in lectures, you know, I really seem to catch them off guard. When you ask born Muslims, why are you Muslim? And like, uh, you know, uh, I, well, you know, oh, my father is from Pakistan. Well, that's nice that your father is from Pakistan. My father is from Greece. So I, I shouldn't be Muslim, right? You see, so they don't see that. They, it's automatically really like, no, yeah, because you're from there, you have to be that. You, know? mm, you told me, you told me this thing last time, last episode. If I'm some guy was saying uh, I was born Greek, so I'm gonna die Greek. <laughs> That's right. Makes That's no right. sense. What they mean with that is you can just be Greek Christian when you are Greek. You mm -hmm. know, you cannot be anything else. Subhanallah. So, subhanAllah, with regards to South America and with regards to Islam in the Guyanas, obviously, that is one project which I find extremely important and I would love to go down back again. When I was there last time, it was really just to visit family. 
to visit people who um, also Guyana just to visit people who um, are, are close to my family or I even family mashallah. as I said my wife is from Suriname so um, what uh, the second project is about the second project is about Europe and especially the Balkan Peninsula um, what do you know about the Balkans all of you nothing any idea nothing anything recent that happened mm. in the Balkans Honestly, like, I like Greek yogurt. And when I go to the grocery store and I buy some Greek yogurt, I get the one that says Balkan style. I don't know what that means, but it tastes really good. I think it has something to do with it. Yeah. I mean, indeed, Greece is part of the Balkan. Okay. The mm -hmm. Balkan Peninsula is uh, quite a big peninsula, actually. And I'll show it to you later, inshallah. But there are many definitions. I mean, the general definition is the following. If you look at these countries on your right, basically, on the slide, you can see the slides, all right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ottoman like, Balkans. Mm -hmm. Tell me now, you, you just see wallpaper or something, no? Huh? <laughs> All right. So the Balkan Peninsula, you see these countries on your right. These are countries with the dates in there when the Ottomans came and opened them, mashallah. Mm -hmm. So when the Ottomans <clears throat> came in the 15th century, most actually in the 14th century already, 1360, for example, they opened the north of Greece, okay? In Greece, as you mentioned before, the Greek yogurt, indeed, Greece is part, all the way to the south, um, is, is part of the Balkan Peninsula. The Balkan Peninsula is now, uh, has a lot of countries. Before, it used to be basically just two or three or four countries. One massively big Yugoslavia. You must have heard of Yugoslavia. The Yugoslavia War in 1992 to 1995, the Balkan War. You must have heard of it, right? Between 1992 to 1995. Bosnia, right? Hello. I mean, it, it rings it rings a bell. It sounds it rings familiar, a bell. Okay. but I, I, I can't say that I can recall. Like, if I, you see, 100%. if I told you now, if I told you, what is the Holocaust? Oh, I, I can tell Holocaust. you that. I can tell you, you that. You see, you can tell me about what happened 70 to 75 years ago, but you cannot mm -hmm. tell me what happened 20, 30 years ago just in front of my house door. No it's crazy, but that's, that's because... Of the schooling that we have exactly. over here in the West. That's the point I'm trying to make, and I'm reaching it. Look at that. What happened? Who were the victims in the Balkan Wars? In, in, in Yugoslavia at that time, the breakup of Yugoslavia in 1992 to 1995. What happened? The victims were the Muslims. Okay? Mm. And they used to call Muslims Turks. Told them to go back to Turkey. But they were Slavic people. That means they were mm. the same people who were living there on the Balkan Peninsula all the time. Speaking another language but Turkish. Speaking a Slavic language. Okay, and these people, Bosniaks, for example, are Muslims, Pomaks are Muslims, Albanians are Muslims, right? And they were the victims of these wars. Algeria, and, yeah, nobody talks about what friends did to Algeria. No, absolutely not. And this is recently, this is recent history, guys. Mm. This is recent history. I experienced it. We were, you know, we were glued in front of the TV when it was happening that time, 1992, 1995. Okay, it happened, and I experienced it not there, of course, I was not there, but I experienced it. You know, I saw I saw the, the documentaries and I saw people while it was happening, refugees who even went to America. I know a brother told me once, <laughs> I had to laugh, subhanAllah. Um, he told me, he was in uh, was it New Jersey or New York, um, when he told me in the 1990s, when they um, accepted some refugees from Bosnia, Muslim refugees, and they opened the mosques for them and they allowed them in. And he came in to speak to them and he saw white people there and he was like, where are the Muslims? And they told him, listen, these are the Muslims. 
It's like these are white people. I said, yeah, well. <laughs> you understand? So people have this idea. In certain, everybody in certain parts of the world has a certain idea of Muslims. Okay? In the UK, they're all Pakistanis. Okay? In the US, they're all black. Right? In Greece, they're all Turks. Okay? In France, they're all Moroccans or Algerians. You understand? And in the end, this is the whole world. So everybody has their Muslims, and they believe that just these people are Muslims. Okay, so so you see again the the prejudices that are there, even from the Muslim side. So again, the brother could not believe that in my in the first time in my life I saw a white Muslima. Somebody was wearing a hijab. A white lady was wearing a hijab. It was the first time in my life. So, you know, crazy, isn't it? I found this crazy when I heard it. I still have to laugh when I think of it. You know, so people don't know about the Balkans, and the Balkans nowadays have three or four Muslim countries. Imagine that. One of them is Bosnia. Bosnia Herzegovina is a Muslim country. Albania is a Muslim country. Kosovo is a Muslim country. And Turkey is a Muslim country. SubhanAllah. So you look at these countries, you know, and I would like to go to the Balkans again and um, do some more research, make a small documentary about actually what has happened after the, um, uh, the um, destruction of, of Yugoslavia. Uh, that got uh, basically six other countries, seven countries uh, developed out of Yugoslavia, out of them, three Muslim countries. The Albanians, for example, live in Kosovo and in Albania. You know, how do they cope with their new situation now? It used to be a communist part of the world. They used to be suppressed and they could not really go to the masjid. Now the masjids are open. They can go, they can practice their deen, they can go back. And Albanian people, for example, look at them here. Albanian people live all over the Balkan Peninsula. There are about 5 million people. This is the original uniforms that you can see here. And this is an old picture of Albanians praying during the time of the Ottoman Empire. They became Muslim during the time of the Ottomans. So it is exciting to see that these people are still there nowadays, still being Muslims. And they have <coughs> Islamic architecture, like for example here. This is in Albania. Okay, So you can find mosques, like the minaret you see here, the typical Ottoman style minaret in the center of Tirana, the capital of, of Albania. And inside of this mosque, it looks like what you see here behind, um, you know, the balcony that you can see uh, as a background, the photo, mashallah. Beautiful to see, okay? The typical Ottoman architecture, you find the houses, you can see down the two pictures on uh, in the corner. Um, it gives you an indication of old um, um, uh, villages and towns which still have the Ottoman architecture. Okay, and people still go to the masjids, and masjids are available. Adhan is there, of course. Very interesting to see. And I would like to actually visit these places and and bring, of course, some 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 footage from there to to show to the people like how people live nowadays in the Balkans after the breakup of Yugoslavia, after communism has disappeared. The same, the Slavic people, as I mentioned before. Look at that. Now you can see the Balkan Peninsula like, more clearly. You see. Countries such as Croatia, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Serbia, Montenegro, Albania, North Macedonia, Greece. These are all part of the Balkan Peninsula, Bulgaria. And they were all opened in the 14th century by the, by the Ottomans up to the 15th century, actually. And Islam became the major religion, actually, there. So that many of them are Muslim countries nowadays. Some are not, but they have a Muslim minority. Okay, like Greece. We have a Muslim minority than all of Greece. The Slavic population in the world is uh, significant, uh, nearly 200 million people. 
uh, of whom the Russians are the majority of them. More than 150 million Russians are Slavic, of Slavic origin, and then you have Ukrainians and other uh, Slavic people, as well as Polish people, Czech people, these are also Slavic people. And then the Balkan people are 23 million Slavs, Slavic people. So if you look at them in the Bosnia or in Serbia or in Bulgaria or in North Macedonia, these are all Slavic people, okay? And many of them have accepted Islam, some not, are Orthodox people or other type of religions. Bosnia-Herzegovina, of course, as we all know, after the breakup of Yugoslavia, the Bosnian war in the 1990s, you can still see until nowadays, look at the first picture all the way on top. This is the capital of Bosnia-Herzegovina, Sarajevo. And in Sarajevo, until the day of today, after 30 years of war, even until the day of today, you will find uh, residential buildings such as these ones here, where there's, you can still see the bullets, the bullet holes, and you can still see what happened in the war. Until the day of today. SubhanAllah. These are Muslim people, and they really were the victims of the war, especially in the 1990s. Okay? With beautiful mosques from the Ottoman time that are renovated and made up again, mashallah. What have the Ottomans left behind? The Ottoman Muslims and Islamic legacy in the Balkans. You can find Ottoman Islamic architecture as we saw some mosques before. Islamic populations, of course, Muslim countries. Ottoman, Turkish, Persian or Arabic vocabulary. You can find Ottoman literature and arts until the day of today. A fusion of Ottoman and Albanian as well as Ottoman and Slavic cultures. And last but not least, the Milet system. Any idea what this is? The Millet system, the Ottomans and Islamically seen, that is a system that in an Islamic country, in an Islamic empire, you would deal with your subjects according to their denominations. That means if you deal with Orthodox Christians, they belong to the Millet of the Orthodox. If you deal with Catholics, they belong to the Millet of the Catholics. Jews belong to the Millet of the Jews. Muslims, the millet of the Muslims. So that means it's like religious communities. In a Muslim country, ethnicities don't count. It doesn't matter if you are from that country, this country, black, blue, yellow, green. Well, what counts is your, who, do, who do you worship? Okay? What God do you believe in? And this is your millet you belong. So even if you speak different languages, like the Orthodox people on the Balkan Peninsula, there are Serbs who speak Serbian. There are Bulgarians who speak Bulgarian. There are Greeks who speak Greek. But they all were one millet. They all belong to the Orthodox people, Orthodox Christians. Clear? Any questions up to there? So these are the two projects I wanted to introduce. And whoever can help me out, go to my GoFundMe page and take a look at this project in details. Find out what you can basically do for us and help me out to go and visit these countries and come back with some nice footage, show it to you on YouTube, basically get you to find out how these Muslims live nowadays. And this is something that's all long overdue already. We had to do that already in the 90s, beginning of the 21st century, it hasn't been done. And if it has been done, it has been done by non-Muslims, always from a certain perspective, never from the Muslim perspective. So inshallah, whoever wants to support these two projects, this is, I think, it goes into the Sadaka issue. So whoever Link wants to in the description. Rami, how much more time we got? 
It's literally six. Oh, right it's already six? Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're almost done wrapping it up anyway. Yeah. SubhanAllah. This was, I learned so much, man. I really, every episode with you, it's like, I forget that we're recording for YouTube. I feel like I'm in lecture, but it's not like a normal class. Like, I, I actually want to go. Yeah, I, I want to say, I hope it was not like a lecture. I really hope that, you know, we take something with us because, look, I mean, we spoke today about two very different places. But what they have in common is you have the Muslim Muslim life in both ways, and you have the Muslims developing that in, in these regions of the world um, with different history and different background. But exciting to see as a Muslim that I can feel at home. I know that I've been in, I've traveled a lot, mashallah, and I've been to um, many Muslim communities in the world. And even if I was in the deepest jungle of South America, you know, Brazil or whatever, and there were Muslims there, subhanAllah. I mean, in Suriname, you have even indigenous people living in their villages who have become <coughs> Muslims, mashallah. So mm. whole Muslim villages. So it feels like home. It doesn't really matter if I'm in Greece, if I'm in the UK, in the US, or in, uh, in Suriname. For me, as long as we have the freedom to practice our deen, and we have the brothers and sisters around us, I really could live anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world, as long as there's freedom. And I think the place I could not live, I tell you that now already, would be France. That would be most probably if you want to really um, do something to me, if you want to give me a trauma, send me to France. You know, that's, some, that's, some, that's a place I would never like to go. You know, I've visited France several times in the past, but now it's a time I would, I would not even want to give them any money. So it is, it, mm-hmm. these are places, you know, where you clearly see that there's a problem. And the, the problems are developing throughout Europe. By the way. It's not only in France, unfortunately. Yes, I hope, yeah. indeed, I hope it was not a, a lecture. It was rather some kind of presentation to learn something more, inshallah, and to find out more about these projects and actually see this is part of my work. I've been busy with that actually for months already, trying to prepare for it and trying to get, um, get a fun, funds for it as well. Um, yeah, inshallah. I mean, again, if you could just promote it a bit, inshallah, it would be absolutely great. Inshallah, we'll put it in the description of course. as well. Inshallah, course, inshallah uh-huh. and see how we can take it further. Inshallah. Inshallah. It's a great initiative, mashallah. Great presentation and backed by great initiative. Uh, I'm excited for it personally. Subhanallah, I think it is very interesting, uh, and it's it's something that, like you said, has not been done. And I think that's a big issue, and it speaks to our larger issue. Um, that we're not really pushing for things like this to be done. We're not really educating each other on, you know, other Muslim uh, populations around the world, how they got there, what they're living like there, what life is like. And uh, Jazakallah khair, I really do support it. And may Allah bless you and make it easy for you. All right, anything else from you guys? If you made it this far, hashtag. Class is in session. <laughs> hashtag Guyana and hashtag classes in session. <laughs> indeed, indeed, it's something that I'm hoping that will wake up a lot of people as well um, to look into um, how different people, uh, how better in, in certain parts of the world Muslims live and how much better they are treated as well. And uh, I think it gives you hope. Um, on the one hand, on the other hand, also you see that is possible. It is possible to integrate and not to assimilate, and not to have to assimilate. Uh, see the two, these two different terms, and understand these two different terms, and try to really push forward that we want integration, not assimilation, as it is in certain parts of the world. 
um, that it's possible, you know, that is not a one-way street. Mm -hmm. It is something that both have to agree upon. Both sides have to agree upon. And it should not feel like us and them. It should never feel that way. Mm. Although it might seem like that. It might really seem, because I said it even before, but it might seem like this sometimes, um, but it doesn't have to be like this. It's really not us and them. Um, it is simply that everybody wants to have also a dignity and respect for their way of being. And if you do give respect to people who want to be, I don't know, who just simply feel proud of being white or American or black or whatever else, then give us also the respect that we want to be Muslims and we want to be accepted as Muslims and never as an ethnic minority or a, or a linguistic minority, but rather a religious minority, which we take it more seriously. We take really, again, as we are all here, four different people from four different countries, from four different backgrounds, but what really unites us is the belief in Allah. And this is excitingly amazing. Honestly, it's amazing. You know, this in itself is mind-blowing. Imagine now, I, you know, when I met you guys, you remember when we met the very, very first time? You know, when we met the very first time, for me, I met brothers. I didn't meet somebody from God knows where. I didn't care. It's interesting to find out. Okay, it's interesting to know that you have these different backgrounds, mashallah. Great, and I want to know that, as well as the languages, for example. And I hope, Angel, we're going to speak Spanish inshallah next time. So, inshallah. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, so, it is it is, it is, exciting to see that, you know, and it's really mm -hmm. wonderful to see how we unite, mashallah. And that's how the ummah should be. We are microcosm of the ummah. What we are doing here, four of us, is is, is playing the microcosm of the ummah, mashallah. So that, that's it. Alhamdulillah, man. Yes. With that note, hashtag integrate, not assimilate. If you really made it this far, so we know who the real T3M <laughs> fam is, look forward to episode four, which will drop soon. And yeah, Rami, end it off. With that being said, Jazakallah Khair for another amazing session. Yes, Jazakallah Khair. Without you, this wouldn't be possible. Thank you for your tremendous work. May Allah reward you immensely. Amen. 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 Ya Rabbi Amen. 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 With that being said. Salam alaikum. Allahumma atina fi wa fil